separate nothing can separate even if I ran away your love never fails I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love
God, I just want to come before you this morning just to lay everything down, all the problems that, that I may be carrying. Just to let them go, God. I just want to encourage everyone this morning to do the same. Lord, I come, I confess,
1 John, and today I want to talk to you about our distinguishing mark. Our distinguishing mark, 1 John chapter 3. The other day I was in a bank, and I was visiting with a lady at her office, sitting across from her desk. And while we were sitting there, my son and I were there together, and I, I look around, and on the walls I see pictures and one of the pictures that I saw was like, it looked like the kid had painted it maybe, and it was one of those word art things. And I was reading it, and it says, it is well with my soul. And I thought, oh, that's a cool little painting. And I turned, and I found another painting on the wall, another picture, and um, it was obviously something that was religious as well. And, I, and I, it didn't take me long to realize that this lady that I'm visiting with is a believer. And I thought, you know, how cool is that, that you can tell that somebody's a believer by, you know, what they've got hanging up in their office. You know, for centuries, Christians have done little things to let other people know that they are also followers of Christ. Back, the first Christians um, were heavily persecuted, and it is said that when they would encounter other people that they thought were believers, they would simply draw maybe the ichthus or the sign of the fish in the sand and that was letting other people know that they are believers in Jesus Christ. It was a safe place. And for years we've seen people walking around with a chain around their neck, with a cross dangling off that chain. Or maybe you've seen somebody with a tattoo with a scriptural reference. Or you see a t-shirt or you get a bumper sticker that says, follow me to church. Or maybe in the back window of the car they get a sticker that lets them know what church they belong to. You know what I'm saying? We've got all these little things that have, for years have been used as identifiers of followers of Christ. But how many of you know that that identifier, those little things that we look to, don't always tell the whole story? Sometimes you can see someone, I remember watching TV and having someone wearing a necklace and they had a big old cross on the necklace and every other word coming out of their mouth was the F-bomb. And I thought, man, if you're going to talk like that, would you please take the cross off of your neck first? Or maybe you're driving down the road and you're driving like, I don't know, you're mad at the world and you've got a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus or whatever. And you know what I'm saying? Is it kind of, sometimes those little things that we use as identifiers um, don't always tell the whole story. Now, why do I bring that up? Because today, John in chapter 3 is talking about um, our, as Christians, our distinguishing mark. What is that mark? That sets us apart. What is it that mark that when everybody else looks at us as believers, they're able to tell that we are believers? Not by the tattoo or the bumper sticker or the t-shirt or Caleb or Air One or all of those things, which I'm grateful for, by the way. But how do they know that we're followers of Christ and why did he bring this up? John was dealing with some false teachers that had crept into the church and they were teaching this Gnosticism. They believed they had a special knowledge and that's what made them right with God. And so they claimed to be believers, but they were not living lives that reflected that. And, and so John is addressing that throughout this little epistle and, and you see this recurring theme, truth, obedience, love, truth, obedience, and love. And so what he wants the church to know is it matters how we live our lives. See, the Gnostics believed that the flesh and the spirit were separate entities. And, and you're good if you claim to be a believer. It did not matter how you lived your life in the flesh. So they would live their lives completely contrary to the teachings of Christ and they were just living it up however they wanted to. And they believed that they were all good. And they were teaching this heresy in the church. And, and so John is simply saying, hey, this is not right. It does matter how you live your life. And so there's this thing called obedience. And we want to be obedient to the teachings of Christ. They were also teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Um, they, they, they accepted the deity, but they didn't accept the humanity of Christ. And John's simply saying, look, I, I was with Jesus. 
I heard him speak. I, I, I've eaten meals with him. I've actually touched this Jesus. And so, yes, Jesus is very real. And so he wants them to know the truth about who Jesus is. And there's this one thing that keeps coming up over and over again that he reminds his readers of. And he says, it's the message that you've heard from the beginning. Chapter 3, uh, verse 11. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. And so he's telling them this message. What is that message? Well, let's go back to John chapter 13, the upper room. Jesus is talking to the disciples before he's about to go to the cross. He knows that he's about to give up his life on the cross to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And it's in that context that he washes the disciples' feet. He shows them what servanthood looks like. And he says, as I have done, I want you to do for other people. But he also says, I want, here's a new command I want to give to you. I want you to love other people as I have loved you. Now, your love for other people will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Did you catch it? That is the distinguishing mark for a follower of Christ is love. Say love. So Jesus in the upper room has said all along, love is that distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Christ. People will see the love that we have for one another and they will know that we are followers of the way. They will know that we are believers in Christ. And so John starts in chapter 3, three verse 11. He says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So Jesus begins with that command. In fact, um, I remember preaching a couple, three years ago um, about, you know, if you could boil down the whole scriptures, the teachings of Christ, and you say, hey, let's just make it easy. What are the most important commands that we should follow? And if you remember that series, you remember we said, what, love God and? All right, so a few of you were here or you were paying attention that day, but uh, the, the big idea was, I mean, the two most important commands are to love God Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus talks about this. It, it goes back to the Old Testament. Paul speaks on it. John speaks on it. And he's not giving us this command that's impossible to do. Uh, because in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that he pours his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Aren't you grateful for the Holy Spirit? So he's equipping us to be able to follow this command to love other people. And he says, this is the distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Christ. Now, why was that important in his day? Because these Gnostics were treating the rest of the church like garbage. Um, they were pious. They act like they were smarter and better than everybody else. And they were just mistreating and maybe even hateful to um, other believers. And John has simply given them a litmus test. This is how you know who the true believers are the defining characteristic of a true believer is love. They're going to be marked. Their life will be marked by love. And so then he goes on in this, this section of Scripture um, to give us a contrast between the firstborn of Adam and Eve, which is Cain. You remember Cain and Abel, that story in Genesis chapter 4. He gives us the contrast of Adam's firstborn with God's firstborn, only begotten son, Christ. Right, and, and as John does with these contrasts and these comparisons, dark and light and death and, and, and life, he now talks about this difference between hatred and love. Now, if you remember the story in Genesis chapter 4, let me just go back quickly to refresh our memories. So Adam and Eve had two kids. Um, they had Cain and Abel. And this is when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Some of your versions will say, in the course of time, um, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Verse 4 says, 
Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, I don't want to get into the why he didn't accept Cain's gift and he accepted Abel's gift, but the, 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 the point is God accepted one gift and he did not accept another gift. It says this made Cain very angry. So Cain gets ticked off because his gift was not accepted, but his brother Abel's gift was. And it says, and he looked dejected, so you could even see it in his face. And then the Lord responds to Cain, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? And then he gives him this choice. He says, you will be accepted, you'll be lifted up if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue and be its master. You must subdue it and be its master. So God's telling Cain early on, you have a choice to make. You can let this anger build and fester and it's not going to go well with you or you can choose to master this anger and you can do what is right. Well, John is using this is an example of one extreme. And so in chapter 3 of 1 John, in verse 12, it says, he starts by saying what love is not, and he uses this example of Cain. So he says, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So there's, there's four things quickly that I want you to know about hate. So realize this, that the murder of Abel from Cain, when Cain murdered his brother, began with anger. So anger was like the root, the fruit was murder. So before we dismiss um, anger and we think sometimes we are justified in our anger, let us be very careful to know that anger unchecked becomes very dangerous and can actually lead to even worse things. In the case of Cain and Abel, it leads to murder. So four things about um, hatred. Hatred originates with the devil. Notice the first thing um, that the text says, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. He belonged to the evil one. His murder of his brother proved that he belonged to the evil one. So hatred originates not necessarily in the heart, but it originates further south than that. In fact, Jesus, talking about the devil, in John chapter 8, verse 44, says the devil was a murderer from the beginning. So he's the source of this hatred. So hatred originates with the devil. Secondly, hatred divides and even can lead to murder. In the case of Cain and Abel, we know that this hatred, this, this anger turned to hatred, turned to murder, and that's the most extreme example. But how many of you know that we witness sometimes when someone offends you or does you wrong that we can get angry and we know that that hatred that we can have for one another can cause a division as well? We see homes that are divided. We see churches that are divided, communities that are divided. And so we need to understand that hatred divides and unchecked can lead to even worse things. And you say, Shane, well, that says murder. So we're all good, right? Because I've not committed murder. That's good, right? Well, not so fast because Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount 
gives us a stricter guideline. It says in chapter 5, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, let's stop right there. Let me, let's skip over that part because I've used that word a few times. It says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. He goes on to say, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that anger in the heart is equal to or just as dangerous as murder. We'll be held account for that. Amen? And so hatred divides and even can lead to Murder. Number a third thing about hatred is it is motivated by personal sin. Listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, And why did he kill him? Why did Cain kill Abel? Inquiring minds want to know. He answers that question. He says, Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So hatred is motivated by personal sin. Have you ever realized or recognized that when someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing, when someone that's doing the right thing is around them, there's just a a natural enmity between the two? I'll I'll put it this way. When I was in school, I remember I was raised in church, raised in a, a Christian home, and there's just certain things you didn't do. And you'd go to school and you'd meet other people that they didn't have those same convictions and they were doing those things. And they would come up to you and say something like this, Shane, why don't you do X, Y, and Z like we're doing? And I might respond, well, I just don't feel like that's right, and I, I can't do that. I can't go along with that. And the response almost always was this, you think you're better than us, don't you? Has anybody else ever heard that? Oh, you old goody two-shoes, you old high holy roller, you think you're better than us? There's something about when, when someone is, is being mean to someone who's trying to do the right thing, it's, it's usually because it's motivated by their own guilt, their own personal sin. And so hatred in this case is motivated by the personal sin in Cain's life. He was doing what was not right, and Abel was doing what was right. And so um, at this point in the text, John reminds us as a church who want to live according to God's standard, living in ways that are righteous. He says, don't be surprised, church, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you the same way. Because we live in this world system uh, that loves to hate, right? And it's, we've seen that so much lately, especially in this political climate, right? In the last few months, I, I, in fact, I got off of Facebook because it was breaking my heart. Some of the things that I read and see, I'm like, we're, we're, we're losing sight of who we are in Christ, and I'm thinking, this is not right. John reminds us, don't be surprised if the world hates you because we're trying to live righteously, and there's a, a world that is opposed to God's system, um, and it's going to be opposed to us um, as a result. And, and then fourthly, in this things about hate, hatred is evidence of spiritual death. Notice in verse 14 it says, but a person who has no love, say no love, so a person who has no love is still dead. It is an evidence of spiritual death. And so John is contrasting this firstborn son of Adam called Cain, and he said, this is not love. Say not love. 
All right, so we're, we're, we're told that this is the mark of Christianity. This is the identifying mark of a follower of Christ is loving other people. And he's like, don't do it this way. This is what love is not, not like Cain. And, and then in contrast, he says, this is what love is. In verse 16, it says, we know what real love is because Jesus. I could just stop there for a second. Aren't you glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ? We know what true love is, real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. In fact, if you want to talk about the love of God, you cannot talk about the love of God without the cross of Christ. Where you got one, you got the other. It's because through the cross of Christ, we see God's love for humanity revealed to us. Aren't you thankful for that cross? See, every time we see a cross, it reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died on a cross for our sins. This is how God demonstrates his love toward us. And so he says, we know what real love is because Jesus is the ultimate example. He laid down his life for his friends. Well, well ago I told you these things about hatred. Let me, let me tell you, just as hatred originates from the devil, love originates with God. Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? Not Hollywood. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I just love that description of who God is. God is love. And when we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. He brings his baggage along with him. And the fruit of the Spirit or the baggage, if you want to say, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Amen? And so God is love. Love originates with God. And as hatred divides and can lead to murder, love unites. It brings people together, doesn't it? If you genuinely are loved by people, it just brings people together and it results in laying down life. And you say, well, what does that mean to lay down life? You're talking about death, you're giving your life, putting yourself in the line of fire for another believer? Maybe. In their day, there was heavy persecution and, and it might have been very real for them to think, you know what, I've put myself in harm's way for my brothers and sisters. But I think it goes much deeper than that. Because I know how I'm wired, and maybe you're wired the same way. I can say, you know what, I would like to think that I'm a hero. I would like to think that uh, my, my good friend, Little McDaniel's, you know, here, and, and if, if, if some harm was coming his way, I would put myself in front of my, my buddy Lindell and take a bullet for him. Yeah, I'm heroic that way, and that's what it would mean to lay down your life for another brother. And it wouldn't be wrong. And while that may seem like a, an easy one-and-done task, I mean, because you're literally done after that, but... I think it goes harder, it's, it's much harder than that, much deeper than that. It's step by step, day by day, piece by piece. To lay down one's life also means to lay aside our own privileges. It means to live a selfless life where we look at other people's needs ahead of our own, right? And, and so love originates with God and it can unify and it causes us, it pushes us to want to show that love to other people. And notice it's not just in word only. Love you. Love you. That's not it. It doesn't cut it. Say this. Love is a verb. What is a verb? It's an action, right? So, so love is active. It's not just words only. 
And so he says, as Christ showed us what love looks like, we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And listen to this. He goes on to say, and this is why I think it goes deeper than this. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth, show the truth by our actions, verb, And it says, our actions, verb, will show that we belong to to the truth. And so this love of God unites us and it causes us to to be selfless and to um, literally help people out. When you see a brother or a sister in need, it's not just saying I love you, but it's saying, hey, how can I help meet that Need and it's you got to sacrifice your time, you sacrifice some of your money, your goods, your talents, and you just make sure and minister to the needs. That's love in action. And just as hatred is motivated by personal sin, our love is motivated by God's love. When you realize how much God loves us, should not that motivate us to want to do a little of the same? Chapter 4, verse 9, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That's good news, right? God showed how much he loved us. Verse 10 says, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's good news. That's big love, right? Dear friends, I can just hear John saying this to his readers, and and I'm saying it to us today. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. See, God's love motivates us to love other people. So love is motivated by God's love. And lastly, in contrast to hatred is evidence of spiritual death, love is evidence of spiritual life. Look back up at verse 14. It says, if, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves, say proves. So it's evidence, right? It's evidence that we have passed from death to life. And so you see, he's saying love is the, the evidence that we are um, passing from death to life. Now, let me just stop right here and say, does it mean that occasionally as a follower of Christ, we're going to run into a situation and someone's going to hurt us deeply? We're going to be wronged heavily. Does it mean that if I struggle with the forgiveness or if I harbor a little hatred for a season in my life, is this telling me that I'm not in Christ? And it's not saying that, but it's talking about a, a lifestyle. If you ever met somebody that just hates everybody, don't look around. In fact, we were joking before church. You know, the temptation is the older we get, the less people we like. You know, we get old and grumpy. I hate them people, Right? So when it comes to being a follower of Christ, instead of that way, we should grow more and more in love because God is love and as God is working through our lives, it becomes more and more evident that we are his because of our love, not because of our tattoos, our bumper stickers, our window stickers, our K-Love radio and all those things. Not knocking them, but those are not the characteristics of a follower of Christ. They are not the distinguishing mark of a believer. It's love and it will always be love. Jesus said that's how people are going to know is your love for one another. So that's what love is. Not like Cain, but the example of God's firstborn, Christ, who demonstrated his love by laying down his life for us. And so we should also lay lay down our lives for one another. And when we do that, 
without even uttering a word, when we demonstrate that love in action, it proves that we are His. And so that's what love is. What does love do? I like this part. It says, verse 19, Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Have you ever thought about that moment? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Christ returns and just that moment that we're standing before God. I, I don't know, confidence and standing before God don't go together in my little pea brain, right? Because I know me better than you know me. But God knows me just as well and more. And, and, and we just think about some of the things that we do. And I can't imagine standing before God with confidence. But he says that when we do what he's told us to do and we do the things that please him, he says we can stand before God with confidence. He says, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Do you think loving other people pleases him? You can answer that question. Yes, it does. And he's like, oh, well, what about, what about those people that are unlovable? It reminds me of a, a story I read this morning that said, this lady went to church and when she got there, uh, this woman who had been rude to her many times, and just snubbed her and kind of ugly to her. She runs up to this lady and just embraces her with this big old warm hug. And the lady's like, what? What gives? What, what happened? What, what, why the change? And so as she's pondering that, the preacher's preaching a sermon. At the end of his sermon, he says, okay, today's homework is to do what you did last week. Find somebody you don't like and hug them. If only it were that easy, just give them a hug and walk away from them, right? But God wants us to love. He commands us to love. He gives us the ability to love through his Holy Spirit. And not only does he said to love the people that are lovable, but he says to love the unlovable people as well. Ouch, Shane, why did you say that? Because he said it, and that settles it. What about my enemies? Jesus taught on that again the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew. He says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was a law. But Jesus says, but I say, but I say, love your enemies. Oh, not that one. Man, I can love the other brothers. And there's some of them that are a little hard to love. You know, they're weird. I can love them, but you're saying I need to love my enemies too? Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Do you see it as the distinguishing mark of the follower of Christ? For he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so he commands us to love. He says, that is the distinguishing mark. Jesus in the upper room says, by this they will know you're my disciples when you love one another. But not just in word, but in action also, by laying down our lives for our friends. And when we are obedient in that, when we do those things that please him, he says that we can come to God with bold confidence. It just it blows my mind. Verse 23 says, and this is the, com the commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You see how important he's putting this, loving other people? He's putting it right up there. He says, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Chapter 4 
says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we do not be afraid. We will not be afraid on the day of judgment where we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. i got to ask you a question as I ask myself the same question. Am I living like Jesus in this world? In a world that has a system that is, is hate, like Cain, that's the mark of the world. And he says, I've called you to be a peculiar people, to set apart, and you're going to live your life differently on this earth. And I want you to love other people, not just the people that are easy to love, but even the enemies. Love them. Because when you do that, like the T-shirt or the tattoo or the, the window sticker or the K-love, the air love, it is a distinguishing characteristic. It shows the world that you belong to me. And as God is love, he's called us also to love one another. So my question would be this. Verse 17 says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I struggle with that statement. And I have to ask the question, how's your love growing? You remember I said jokingly a while ago, the older we get, the more we feel like we don't need to love people. Like, I'm just grumpy, get over it. That's what happens, we get old. It's a right, right? I can be, I can be hateful if I want to. I've paid my dues. It's just the way human nature is. We get older, we get grouchier, but he says if we live in God, the more we live in him, the more our love grows more perfect. See, he's working on us, and he's growing us in this love. And, and I can just tell you from personal experience, there have been seasons in my life where I hated somebody with a, a, an intense hatred because of things that they've done to me. And I remember just going to bed at night, thinking up ways that I could get back at them and for what they had done to me. And I remember those days. And let me just tell you, that's not the love that we're commanded to walk in. When I gave my life to Christ, all those things began to change. I noticed I started struggling with that attitude. I couldn't hold on to that kind of hatred for very long. And so as I walked with, with God, my love grows more and more and more. Last week, I ran into a guy that did me great harm a few years back. Some ugly things, said some ugly things. And I walked around a corner at a department store, and there he was. And I remember just immediately going, hey, man, how you doing? Just without even thinking about it. Now, I had a mask on, so he don't know if I was smiling or not, but I was. I was like under there going, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. And we just kept walking. But I thought, hmm, the more you walk with him, the easier it gets. And that's what he's calling us to, Amen. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we say that we live in God, we will love as God loves. And the longer we go, the more loving, the more loving we become. That is the distinguishing mark of the Christian. And so the question would be, are you more marked by this hate or this anger? Or are you more marked by this love that John says that we are to walk in? Now, if you're here today and you're hearing me and you're saying, Shane, I, I, got a, I got a problem here because I know me and I just hate everybody. I just don't like people. I hate people. It's easy for me to get mad at, hold grudge. Then can I just share heart to heart with you? There's a problem with that if you're saying you're a follower of Christ as well. And just like those false teachers in John's day saying one thing, living a different way, he says, hey, that, that don't work. Because a genuine believer is going to be marked by this love. And so I, I would say that if you don't know for sure whether you stand with him or not, that today would be the day for you to get right with him and acknowledge that sin and say, God, I need the God of love to come into my heart and change me from the inside that I'll be a person who 
manifest that same love to other people. And here's the beautiful thing. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how wicked you are or have been. God is love. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? And so if you've not placed your faith in Christ today, I, I challenge you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And second to that, to the believer, I would say, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, the question is, how's your love doing? How's your love growing? Because John says that the longer we walk with him as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So how's your love growing? Are you growing more and more in love for other people? Man, it'd be so easy if we just say, all I got to do is say, I love you. Even to my enemy, hey, I love you. But to take that extra step as Jesus loved us, he gave up his life, not necessarily meaning literally give up our life, but to say my life doesn't count right now and I've got resources that you need, I've got talents that you need, I've got time that you don't have and I want to show my love to you by giving of my resources selflessly for your benefit. That's love. And as the world witnesses that, it takes note because it's not natural. It's supernatural. Amen? As God's love works through us, we become more and more like him. And so the challenge would be, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, the love, the world that hates, the world that is filled with anger, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God's word renew us in our hearts and our minds that we become more and more like Christ in this world and not be surprised when the world we live in hates us because of it. Because we have a moral compass and we say, I just feel like this is, this is morally unacceptable. And the world goes, bigot. The world throws all these accusations. He says, don't be surprised if the world hates you too. But we are called by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit moves into the heart of the believer, he brings his baggage with him. And by baggage, I don't mean negative, I mean in a positive sense. And he begins a, a process. God already looks at us as though we're righteous to the blood of Christ, but he begins this process of sanctification. It's like a house renovation project. And he begins softening our hearts, and we start realizing, hey, it was so easy for me in the past to hate. Now I just find myself wanting to love more and more and more. And here's what John says. Here's what Jesus said. This is the message that we've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And it's that love, that genuine Active love for one another that's going to prove to the world. It is the distinguishing mark. It is our distinguishing mark that we are followers of Christ. Amen? May we be challenged in his word today and reflect and ask the questions, God, how am I doing? How's my love growing? Father, I thank you for the love that you demonstrated to us when we didn't deserve it. When we were in the middle of our filth, in the middle of our sin, when we were outright rebellious against you, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Before we cleaned ourselves up, Lord, that truth should motivate each one of us in this room today that because you loved us that much, we should love others also. Lord, I'm challenged by that truth and that one phrase that as we walk in God, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Lord, I, I wonder how we're doing in that department. Is our love maturing? Are we 
is it, is it getting easier for us to say no to ourselves so that we can say yes to others? Is it easier for us to, to act on those love uh, things and not just speak it? Lord, you said that our love is evidence that we've been brought out of the darkness and into the light. And so I pray that if there be anyone here today that's still in the darkness, and Lord, maybe you're speaking to their hearts and, and they don't know where they stand with you, that you, you love them. And uh, you want them to, to know the truth and to know um, the freedom that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that today would be the day that they would put their, their faith, their trust in you. Lord, for those of us who call on you as our Savior, Lord, I ask that you would motivate us to love. Lord, convict us where conviction needs to happen. Lord, uh, if there's a rebuke that needs to happen in our hearts, Lord, then, then you do what you do best and let us be obedient to that. And if there's a, an apology that needs to be extended or if there's, need a, there's a correction that needs to be done in our own lives, Lord, may we grow a little bit more uh, in conformity to your word today as we see the importance of love and how it is the distinguishing mark uh, for the believer. Father, I thank you. For love, I thank you that it is supernatural, that when people look at us, there's no way they can see that we came with, up with that on our own, but it's because of you working through us, loving other people. And I thank you that you chose that to be the distinguishing mark and not a, a song, a, a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, a tattoo. Lord, you said it's by the love that we have for one another that people will know that we belong to you. So Lord, would you move in our hearts? Would you move us to action today as we're obedient to your word? And would we genuinely seek out ways that we can express that love for other people. Lord, I know that every time we're challenged with a truth like this, there's a test that follows that. And so I am uh, not going to be shocked if I hear somebody saying, you know, you preached on that Sunday, and the next morning I ran face-to-face with somebody I've been struggling with. That's just how you work. Father, I pray that we would rise to the occasion, and that we would live the truth of your, your words, and we would genuinely show love um, to whoever we come into contact with. Lord, we ask it all for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.